Well, today is the birthday of the church, celebrated each year at Pentecost. Birthdays are met with various levels of enthusiasm, usually depending on how old we are and how we feel about ourselves. I suppose the same could be said for the church. I have often heard in church circles a longing, nostalgia for, for having a fellowship that looks like the early church, the church newly born after that day of Pentecost. When we long for the good old days, however, well, sometimes things don't turn out so well. Consider the story of a sweet and well-intentioned husband. Kevin was sitting on the edge of the bed, watching his wife, who was looking at herself in the mirror. Since her birthday was not far off, he asked what she would like to have for her birthday. Oh, I'd like to be eight again, she replied, still looking in the mirror. So on the morning of her birthday, Kevin woke up early, made her a nice big bowl of Fruit Loops, and then took her to a theme park. What a day! He put her on every ride in the park. The death slide, the wall of fear, the screaming roller coaster, everything there was. Five hours later, they staggered out of the theme park. Her head was reeling, and her stomach felt upside down. Still, Kevin took her to a McDonald's, where he ordered her a happy meal with extra fries and a chocolate shake. But Kevin wasn't done. He was determined to make his wife's birthday special. So it was off to the movies with popcorn, a soda, and her favorite candy, M&M's. What a fabulous adventure. Finally, she wobbled home with her husband and collapsed onto the bed, exhausted. Kevin leaned over to his wife with a big smile and lovely asked, Well, dear, what was it like to be eight again? Her eyes slowly opened, and her expression suddenly changed. I meant my dress size, you idiot! Well, now that we're warmed up a little, let's turn on our imaginations. And having worked in children's ministry as the chaplain at Intermountain and youth and family ministry for nearly 30 years, I'm used to engaging the imagination in order to teach and to reach children. As adults, our imagination gets a little stunted, and, well, frankly, that's a shame. So let's regain, regain a godly sense of imagination as we look into his word, okay? Now, with your imaginations engaged, I want to ask you, have you ever thought to yourself how amazing it would have been to be present when Jesus walked the earth? just to be near him, to see his face, to hear his voice. Or rather than go back to Jesus' day, since we've just seen from Kevin's example how that could go poorly for us, how about having Jesus here with us today? How remarkable would that be? I mean, we'd be busting at the seams with enthusiasm and passion for ministry, right? What if I could promise you that next week, during the service, Jesus would Make a bodily appearance, and you could meet him face to face. Then, how many of us would get up the courage to invite someone to church? Come on, it's okay. Show me your hands. All right. Okay, walk with me a little further on this fantasy. Let's say this all took place, and next week the church is overflowing. Hundreds of people are outside on the grass because the room is full. I mean, wow, wouldn't that be great? And and true to my word, Jesus arrives. He takes a microphone and starts to speak. And when he speaks, our 
Our hearts are filled. We sense a peace and a joy available in knowing him intimately. He speaks for hours, and oddly enough, no one seems to think that that is too long. Towards the end, children of the families that we've invited rush up to sit on his lap, and he invites them to draw close. A little girl gets up the courage to ask, Jesus, will you be here tomorrow? Can you stay with us? The smile fades from Jesus' face because he, well, he doesn't want to disappoint, and he can see her longing, but finally he speaks. It's better for you if I don't, so I'm going to leave. What? Does anyone believe that? And then Jesus explains, and we read in John 15, verses 26 and 27, and chapter 16, verses 4 through 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have seen and been with me from the beginning. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Or rather, you are filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong, about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Jesus is saying these words to us today. And we're going to try and dig in and take hold of just a small part of the mystery of this promise. The mystery that we can trust Jesus, that we are in a better position today than we would be if Jesus was physically here with us. Let that sink in for a moment. I know my heart and my mind can barely grasp it. It's true. I, I My head knows that, but... But how often does it make a difference in my heart, my attitudes, my worship? Can I say that it matters to me that that what Jesus said to his disciples is true, that it's better that I have the indwelling of the Spirit than to not, I mean, to have Jesus here physically? And should it matter? I, I know how we feel about Jesus matters, but I'm guessing we have a little less conviction about the Spirit. Further complicating things is that Many in the church have had very little practical study, training, or experience relating to the Holy Spirit. I know for myself, I grew up in a church that seemed much more comfortable talking about God the Father and Jesus the Son. 
we had, so to speak, the big F father and the big S son and the little S spirit. The spirit was kind of like an add-on or an afterthought. If you think I'm exaggerating, think of how it would change things around here if we started messing with the order of the Trinity. I mean, all three are equally God, right? And so if we started baptizing and praying in the name of the Holy Spirit, the Son and the Father, instead of Jesus' name, we started praying in the Spirit's name. Amen. Hmm. Well, that'd be interesting. And we talk to our children about Jesus being in our hearts, but the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit indwells us. He's the Spirit of Jesus, and, and we often use the terms Jesus and the Spirit interchangeably in our relationship to God because, well, we often say Jesus, but we mean Spirit, and we regulate the Spirit to the sidelines. Again, when we are inviting people to become a Christian, we usually ask them to receive Jesus. But most often, the Bible calls new believers to, quote, believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, end quote. I haven't heard too many altar calls or salvation prayers where people are invited to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the exception, of course, are the times that I fellowshiped with my brothers and sisters in the Pentecostal and charismatic movements. But, but Jesus' promise of the Spirit is not just for part of the church or an expression of the church. It's for all of us. Now, if we're going to buy into Jesus' promise that we're better off with the Spirit than we would be if he were here physically, we should start with some of the hurdles in front of us to uh, believing in and living in the Spirit. Let's look at three reasons why we avoid the Spirit. First, we avoid the Spirit out of fear. Fear. We, we can't control the Spirit, and he may lead us into strange places, we think. And in Acts, on that Pentecost birthday of the church, the Spirit appears as a fire and also a rushing wind, both mentioned as images of the Spirit. And both things to be afraid of more often than not, especially during the dry summers of eastern Washington. So fear may be our reason, or perhaps secondly, embarrassment. The Holy Spirit, you know, it kind of seems like something out of science fiction. Or because the old translations use the word ghost instead of spirit, um, you know, using the term Holy Ghost, we we picture an innocuous Casper the Friendly Ghost figure. Or maybe we're embarrassed to talk about the Spirit because it's, you know, it's associated with holy rollers or TV preachers that always seem to have their hand out. Any of these could be reasons to be embarrassed, but but maybe it's not fear. Uh, maybe it's not embarrassment. Maybe it's it's simply a lack of a human Im image. You know, we can easily picture Jesus. He's a real Jewish man of flesh and blood. We have artist renditions of him and actors who portray him. It's the same with the father. We can picture a benevolent father, and people have painted and drawn their idea of the father from the Sistine Chapel to the Simpsons cartoons. But the spirit is harder to portray. How do you paint the wind? Jesus said in John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now we know that the Spirit has appeared and rested on Jesus as a dove, but but that's, you know, a bird is different than a person. And without something concrete to focus on, 
It just may be easier to avoid the Spirit and think about Jesus or God the Father instead. So those are three of perhaps many obstacles to relating to the Spirit. And these things might have been why we had a hard time believing Jesus' promise that having the Spirit is better than having him here with us. Now let's move on to the why part of the equation. Why is it better to have the Spirit than to have Jesus? And the top two that I can think of is first, the concept of universality versus particularity. Let's go back to my initial illustration, the story about Jesus coming to visit us next week. Imagine if you happen to be out of town or on vacation that week. I mean, how disappointing would that be? Major bummer, right? It's a fact that when Jesus was with us in his earthly ministry all those years ago, he limited his presence in time and space to one single person. He was only one individual. And if you missed the appointment when he was in your town, well, too bad for you. This was a very real issue in Jesus' earthly ministry. As a man, God limited his ability to touch and heal and speak and pray over people. Jesus did what he could, but he got tired, exhausted even. He got to the point where he was avoiding going into towns, withdrawing to the countryside, almost hiding from the crowds that would inevitably gather when Jesus stayed in one place for too long. Knowing his limitations, Jesus entrusted much of his ministry to his disciples, well, as much as was possible, sending them out two by two into the towns ahead of him, preparing the people for Jesus' arrival. But even in the Gospels, where he sees out, we see that he sends out the the 70, Jesus was able to broaden his reach 35-fold. Not, not bad, but not great. And hardly the way to affect any lasting change in a world that so desperately needs God. But the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not limited in time and space. The Holy Spirit's available for anyone who will receive him anytime, anywhere. Jesus calls him the counselor, which is our translation of the Greek word paraclete. And if you break down the word, it signifies, well, the meaning is to be called to one side. The word could also have these meanings, a, a legal advocate, counsel for the, the defense, an intercessor, or a helper, generally speaking. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, Peter explained what was going on by quoting from the prophet Joel. This is what Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 says. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. In the Garden of Eden, God related to mankind in complete intimacy. I mean, he walked with them. Throughout the Old Testament, God related to people through leaders and prophets of the nation of Israel. In the Gospels, God came to live among us as a human being, as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, and everyone who met Jesus experienced God face to face. But since Pentecost, since Pentecost, all those who believe in Jesus are given God to live within them 
and the church has given God to live among us by his Holy Spirit. Wow! It amazes me. It amazes me that we make such a big deal over Christmas, and we should, but we nearly forget this Sunday, Pentecost, the day God poured out his Spirit on the church. We need to celebrate Pentecost, this receiving of the one that Jesus said would be better than having him with us physically. You see, Christmas was Jesus' birthday, but but today, Pentecost, we celebrate our birthday as the church. So the first advantage is universality of the Spirit. Jesus was eager to give us God's presence in this way, but he also knew that we would need, and this is the second why, the second reason, he knew we would need empowerment. Empowerment. Jesus says in John 16, 8 through 11, regarding the Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You know, verses 9 through 11 explain verse 8 and make it sound a little less harsh sounding. The, the ultimate sin is not to believe in Jesus, but the Spirit will convict people of the sin of unbelief, drawing them into relationship with Jesus and into the righteousness that only Jesus can give. And this is the good news. In this light, even judgment becomes good news because it's the outworking of the judgment of the devil that has already occurred on the cross. The Spirit is good because he draws us into belief in Christ, into his righteousness. Jeremiah promises the Spirit in this way in Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel promises the Spirit in this way. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nikki Gumbel of the Alpha Program has this great illustration of what the spirit does for us in this work of empowerment. When we go out hiking for the day, we bring our lunch in our backpack, and put our backpack on our back and and initially, the lunch weighs us down, but as morning moves on, we stop and we eat our lunch. And the food from our lunch turns from being a weight on our back to fuel in our belly. By giving us the Holy Spirit, God's law goes from being a weight on our back to being fuel for our very being. So that we not only know God and his ways, but we want to do them too. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, let God do it through me, waiting on the Spirit, 
rather than rushing to action. First, the Spirit will work on my will, the the decision to think according to God's counsel, and and then the Spirit will empower me to act, to actually carry out God's will through my words and deeds. Jesus is God. Amen? I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted to in regards to establishing the church. He could have remained physically on earth and done a great deal of good. But Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. But Jesus didn't leave us empty-handed. Far from it, we are better off. The Holy Spirit is ours through faith in Jesus. Do you want God to be with you today? Do you want to experience his presence and his power? Believe in Jesus for the removal of all you've done wrong and receive the Holy Spirit as your advocate, your counselor, your comforter, your friend, God with you, God within you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this Pentecost birthday of the church. We thank you for our new birth through Jesus Christ and your gift of the Holy Spirit. For those who have yet trusted in you, Jesus, we ask that you would open their hearts and minds, that they would come to you and accept your free gift of salvation, saying, Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I know I've sinned. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sin, for dying for me on the cross for being raised again on the third day. And because of that resurrection, you have the power to give me life and life eternal. Lord, we accept that. We accept that gift. We confess our sins. We accept your free gift of salvation. And we want to do only those things that would please you. So Holy Spirit, We receive you as well. Come into our hearts and our minds. Change ways of thinking that need to be changed. Change behaviors that need to be changed. Sanctify us, meaning set us apart for use by God. Lord, we thank you for this Pentecost Sunday. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.